Hey everyone, it's Bobby Sylvester, co-host of the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. We've got a boomer bust episode for you with Jeff Ratcliffe of Pro Football Focus today. That's going to be a fun one. But first, I want to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, pristineauction.com. You know them from the jersey giveaways we've been doing, the signed jersey giveaway with Le'Veon Bell and T.Y. Hilton. We did pick a winner for that, so if you haven't been notified, I'm sorry you didn't win this one. But you are entered for the next contest, and we're going to be choosing our next jersey next week. So make sure to tune in for that. But pristineauction.com, go ahead and go get yourself a signed helmet, a signed jersey. They've got all kinds of stuff, signed pictures of actors and actresses, lots of fun stuff. Check out their site and make sure to let them know that Fantasy Pro sent you. Hey guys and gals, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester with Mike Taglier, and our guest today is Jeff Ratcliffe of ProFootballFocus.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Ratcliffe. I'm at Bobby Fantasy Pro, and tags can be found at Mike Taglier NFL. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to do it. Always happy to jump on a podcast, especially with my guy Tags. <laughs> it's good to talk with you again, Jeff. We haven't talked since last season, so I'm I'm excited to talk to you about a few Boomer Bus players uh, as we are just a couple weeks away from training camps kicking off. And I, I I'm sure you're just as excited as we are, Jeff. I know you've been doing a few podcasts a week over at PFF, so uh, I'm sure you're ready for these training camps to start, so we can get some new material to talk about. Yeah, you know the the fun thing though, in the same right, is there's always stuff to talk about. I mean, the NFL you could never you could have no games, right? You're right, and and you could be talking ad nauseum about you know whatever we dig up so I love the offseason for that regard but in the same right you know it, it's it the season's awesome there's no doubt about it but you kind of get into that like you have to do this on Monday you have to yes. do this on Tuesday whereas in the offseason you have that freedom to kind of do whatever you know so I, I like it but yeah I'm ready to get back to, to training camp and, and this season and everything so we're like a month away from everyone in the world going crazy about fantasy football. So as you all might expect that are listening at home, this is like our busiest time of the year. Jeff, through all this hard work, what's the one project or topic that you most look forward to covering? For me, you know what's crazy? It's rookies. Um, so Interesting. Yeah, around, a, uh, around probably mid-December, I start itching because I don't watch college football. There's just not enough time. You know, essentially, we're working seven days a week. And uh, to have a family and a happy wife, you have to kind of sacrifice Saturdays uh, for that regard. So I don't watch much college football. I hear about players trying to follow the stats as much as I can during the week. But but it's around about mid-December where I start to itch. And then once the playoffs start, the NFL playoffs, we kind of ease back on our content and all that. I can really dive into rookies. This year, last year I did over 200 rookies to prep for the draft. This year I did over 350 rookies Man. to prep for the draft. Uh, offensive linemen, everything. And and then, you know, that all came to a boil ultimately at the draft itself. I, I broadcasted all three days there, and it was just such an awesome event, so much fun. And it was so, so great to see all that work come together, you know, instantly being able to say, all right, well, here's how this guy fits in. Like, Kareem Hunt got drafted, and I said, Kareem Hunt is now a first-round rookie pick. Like, I tweeted that out immediately afterwards because I knew about this guy, knew who he was, and then he lands in a great spot. So that's probably my favorite thing, to be honest with you. It's just that the the unknown, I think, is probably the most appealing there. I shouldn't be so surprised by that because over at PFF, you guys do some incredible work on the rookies and the college players coming out. Um, I was just salivating all over that stuff. Yes, yeah, tons of rookie stuff, tons of, you know, we're we're actually doing high school players now. So, you know, the, the long-term <laughs> wow. objective, yeah, it's not on a major scale, obviously. College is a pretty major scale. We're doing FBS and then some FCS, like if you have guys like Carson Wentz or, you know, guys like that. But, uh, yeah, we're starting kind of small with high school. And it's going to grow. It's going to keep growing. And, and it, you know, the amazing thing to think about there is there's a potential down the road now, 10, 15 years from now, that we could have entire set of stats and data on a guy from freshman year all the way up through his retirement season in the NFL. It's, it's really so wild cool. to think of. Yeah. <laughs> 
when will it end, Jeff? Are we going to go back to middle school too? Jesus, that's amazing. Though. <laughs> I don't like, think it ever ends. <laughs> well, you hear about these guys, like even going back to like Speedy Noyle, like he was supposed to be, he was like a, a top prospect coming out of high school. And I, I tried, this was like the first year I was able to dive into rookies as much as I wanted to. And hearing that you went through 350 of them, that's just Dude, kudos to you because it's rough. I mean, like I looked forward to it this offseason. I ended up writing, I think, 50 rookie profiles, and it was it was really neat to watch that come through. I learned as Those much as I awesome could about. Those were awesome too, by the way, Tags. Yeah, it was neat to learn about him and kind of try and figure out. I know one player that we're going to be talking about today, Jamal Williams. He's one of those players that I was I was waiting to see where he landed, and it's really interesting, and I can't wait to get Jeff's take on it. But that's really neat to hear that, you know. And Kareem Hunt, you know, when you tweet that out, you knew the player, you knew the system, you obviously know Andy Reid's system, so. That's that's really neat. And, you know, Jeff, you and I are liking that fact. People ask me throughout the year, they're like, so what do you think about this college player? And I'm like, they're, they're surprised to hear that I don't watch college during the season because, as you yeah, mentioned, me Jeff, we have a family. And it's like, you know, during the week we're busy. If if I took away Saturday, my wife would pretty much kill me. So uh, that's that's basically from, you know, January up until the draft is when we're doing the rookie talk. So that's crazy, uh, but it's good to know. You know, that's the best part about working from home is like we're not spending – you know, 300 hours a year commuting to work. We can eat breakfast and lunch and dinner with our family. So even though we work a lot more, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's a great family job. I I love our fantasy football jobs. My wife would disagree with that wholeheartedly. She would say, why aren't you spending more time? Because I'm, I'm, I'm honest to God, whenever I have a free moment, I'm trying to figure out something because as Jeff mentioned, we talk all off season. It's like, you know, we do so many podcasts where it's like, I want to make sure I have something fresh for a different show where it's like, if we talk about that same player, I'm trying to figure out something new. So I don't, I don't know. It's just weird. I just don't take it for granted that we do this. I know we're fortunate to do it. And um, I just, I just want to learn as much as I possibly can in the, in the time that we have. It's hard not to like think about it during dinner and everything too, because it's just so fun. Uh, I, you know, I love the sleepers and the breakouts, but boom and bust players are usually the most fun for me. That's why I'm so pumped about this episode. But I mean, this year I'm looking at the the names on the list that we're going to be talking about in today's episode, and they're not as exciting as usual. It really depends on which way you look at it. And I, I when I found out that we were having Jeff on for the Boomer Bus show, it really made me happy because Jeff, you and I have talked before and you know, we're like you're the type of drafter that you don't settle for mediocrity. You don't want the boring player, right? Like you're looking for the upside. You're not gonna play it safe with someone like, you know, maybe last year would have been like Jeremy Macklin, you know. Uh, whereas this year we're gonna talk about some of those players. That's pretty much the way you draft, Jeff, right? I mean, I do draft for ceiling. I don't know if I, I draft for sexy players per se, because I don't really care when I put a sticker on a board if I get an ooh and a ah or a right. nice pick, bro, or anything like that. I don't. That doesn't <laughs> do it for me. In fact, sometimes I love when I actually put a pick on the board in a home league draft and I get dead silence because it's like, wait... <laughs> what did he who did he just pick you know and, and a lot of times it's 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 value picks I mean I, I I have two two key you know parts to the equation for me on draft day upside and value and 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 my upside my floor kind of changes as I go through the draft so early rounds I do want a guy with some floor but definitely still a high ceiling in the mid rounds then that floor gets lower and then in the very end you know last few rounds of a draft I don't care about his floor. You know, he could mm-hmm. have a zero I'm point floor. You know, it doesn't matter to me. But if his ceiling is high, I'm going to take him in that range. So, yeah, it, it's it's uh, I don't necessarily have to get the chic guys because, you know, for example, you know, somebody who, you know, a lot of people are high on now for obvious reasons. You mentioned Jeremy Macklin. OK, Tyreek Hill. Everybody's really high on him. I'm probably not going to own him because he's going to go too early mm-hmm. yeah. every draft I'm in. So I don't have to be that guy per se, but I do love me some upside. Who would be one of the? Uh, who would be an example of one of these guys that's not very sexy that you find yourself wanting to take in drafts that you know would make people silent when you put them up on the board? Uh, maybe Paul Perkins. Um, yes. he, there's just n- for that's some good, reason that's a no good buzz about him whatsoever, and I, I don't get why because you look at what the Giants are going to do. Obviously, and adding in Brandon Marshall, he's an upgrade over Victor Cruz. You bring in uh, a big upgrade at the tight end position in Evan Ingram. Now, essentially, you have four wide receivers, so the Giants very well could run four wide set. It's not going to be technically called four wide, uh, but it's going to be basically a four wide uh, set. And, and then you look at what Paul Perkins did well. He did well in a spread offense at UCLA. They spread the field. He's good in space. And it's going to be a much different scenario than what we saw last year. Well, except for week 17 last year. So I love taking him in the sixth round right now. And, you, you know, a lot of people are going to scratch their head. Oh, Paul Perkins, really? He was disappointing last year. But he's got tons of upside and, and isn't really an uber sexy guy right now. 
Now, Jeff, real quick, does does Paul Perkins' situation coming into this year, does it remind you of Devonta Freeman coming into the 2015 year? Because that's the mm, comparison that I've used. I think that's a that's an interesting comparison. I mean, it's a it, they're they're not exactly the same type of player for me, but uh, you know, I often compared Perkins to, you know, that sort of not Jamal Charles per se, but that style of player, a little bit of a slasher, a guy who can run inside out uh when he gets to the second level. So, you know, but, you know, from a, a, a scenario, yet possibly it could be something like that. You know, we, we saw that, you know, that year the jury was sort of divided on, on whether Freeman was going to see a significant role or not. And and that's the one maybe the one difference here. We know Perkins is going to see a significant role, but people just want to generally ignore it. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised as as to why, you know, if you're in my home leagues, keep ignoring it because I want to <laughs> I want to take this guy. But I, I do think his his ADP should be a little higher. Like Derrick Henry is going before Paul Perkins in, in a lot of ADP across the industry right now. That's silly. DeMarco yeah. Murray's there. DeMarco Murray's going to get a ton of carries. So why are we taking Derrick Henry there ahead of a guy who is a number one? Uh, but yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting, though, you talk about that. Uh, it, it, it may be a good way to think about Perkins in some ways. Not exactly the same player, but a situation uh, for you know possible breakout where people are kind of ignoring it. Yeah, for sure. That's that's basically what it was. Is Devonta Freeman was somewhat disappointing. I remember JJ Zacharyson from Number Fire talking about the how it was one of the least efficient seasons ever. Perkins wasn't that bad in his rookie season, but coming into this year, people are skeptical. I don't know if it, whether it's Wayne Gallman. I don't know if it's Shane Vereen. Even Orleans Dark was gotten some word out of camp, but I don't buy all that stuff. I have Perkins as my number twenty-one running back, so I am right there, hand in hand with you, Jeff. I'm 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 in on Perkins. So guys, we're going to be going one position at a time and hit on the most important boomer bust players for your drafts. Uh, let's start at running back. And my initial thought was to put guys like Todd Gurley or Jay Ajayi on there. But the more I thought about it, I mean, their floors outside of an injury, and I understand Ajayi has more of an injury risk than most people, but their floors are still top 15 running backs, right? So they're not technically boomer bust guys. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the one player that I'm really, really interested to hear Jeff's take on is on Christian McCaffrey. You know, he talked about covering the the draft prospects coming in, and McCaffrey was someone that rose up draft boards an awful lot. We're hearing, you know, this week, we're now we're hearing that Jonathan Stewart can carry the load and that he may get more carries than McCaffrey, which, you know, none of it was really made sense to me. You know, when they extended Stewart, then they drafted him, then they took the Curtis Samuel in the second round, who's a converted running back. You know, Jeff, the one stat I found that in regards to Carolina, I'm sure you're well aware of it, but Cam Newton doesn't target his running backs. I went back through the last three years. There have been, outside of Cam Newton, there have been just two NFL teams in a single season that have targeted their running backs 70 times or less. Cam Newton has done that in each of the last three seasons. So where does Christian McCaffrey fit in? Is Cam Newton even capable of, of dumbing down his game, stop throwing deep? Like, I think they're taking away what he does best. Is is He's got a massive arm, and that's really about it. Well, I don't know if I would throw to my running backs if uh, Jonathan Stewart was my my running back either. <laughs> Not necessarily a receiving back out of the backfield. Um, you know, I, I think you look at what they're trying to do here, and obviously they're sort of remaking this offense in, in a very different image. Because you bring in McCaffrey, you bring in uh, uh, Samuel, and they're, they're basically two versions of the same player in a lot of ways. I mean, you say he's converted running back. He was technically, I love this about the Curtis Samuel. He was an H back, like, which is not what you think of with an H back. I think of like, I don't, I don't know, like, uh, uh, you know, some basically a tight end. I'm trying to blank blank in like a Chris Cooley type, I guess that would probably be like an H back type for me, not Curtis Samuel. So you have him as a, a slot receiver. You have McCaffrey, who could certainly be a slot receiver, third down receiver out of the backfield. I did say this on draft night, though. I said Jonathan Stewart's still there. Jonathan Stewart's coming off a a surprisingly half-decent season. Not, not from just a raw statistics standpoint, but he was one of the best in the league at forcing missed tackles last year, which is sort of an underrated stat to show how these guys run independent of their blocking you know it wasn't a huge yards per carry obviously season and he really never has been that guy outside of what like 2011 he had over five yards to carry earlier on in his career 2009 he went over five yards to carry but uh you know for me McCaffrey definitely boomer bust profile I think with Cam Newton, though, too, you look at the receiver options that he's had, and it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to to be sh- throwing the ball to the short areas and, and intermediate areas of the field. Uh, so, you know, maybe that does change here this season. I mean, obviously, if you have these guys on the field as a good offensive coordinator, you're going to try and figure out ways to use them. 
I do like McCaffrey here. I think this could be a, a bit of a scenario where McCaffrey's value is much better in November or December than it is in September or October. And I love players like that because you know what happens to players like that? They get dropped. And so you can pick them up in <laughs> October and you don't have to spend the draft capital on 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 guys like that. So definitely boomer bust. I do think they find a way to use him. He does see some early down work, but not as much as Stewart. But he does see uh, catches out of the backfield for sure. You know, I wrote about it today that uh, Christian McCaffrey is my biggest bust running back. Um, you know, I, I just look at this depth chart and – like you said, Jonathan Stewart, if you watch the film, Jonathan Stewart is a quality NFL running back. He was behind a pretty bad offensive line. You know, they, nobody was worried about Cam Newton throwing the ball last year. So they all just stacked the box against Jonathan Stewart. And with no offensive line, I mean, what are you going to do? What would virtually any running back not named David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell do in that situation? I bet they want to put up a great fantasy season. But I, I think Jonathan Stewart gets his hands on, on the ball 200 times this season. And what does that mean for McCaffrey? Plus, they're infatuated with uh, Curtis Samuel. So maybe he gets 50, 50 carries as well. I just, you know, I look at McCaffrey and it, it's not to say I don't like the guy. But he was the running back four up until, what, two weeks before the draft? And then he was picked in the top 10. Everyone's going crazy over him all of a sudden. He's the same running back as he was. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he doesn't get that many touches the first six weeks of the season. We do have to be careful here, though, because you say the two guys who he plays the most similarly to. You say he's not David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell. Christian McCaffrey plays like those guys. Now, he doesn't quite have the size, but he's bigger than people give him credit for. And, you know, I'm not really worried about the fourth running back off the board until whatever. That's what the draft Knicks say. It's not what the, the boards say uh, in, in, in you know, uh, for, for the teams themselves, right? We don't know what their boards are. And and so that's part of the reason why he, it looked like he had this meteoric rise. I mean, he was awesome at the combine. I've said already, he's the best receiver in this class. He's not the best receiver receiving running back. He is the best wow. receiver in this class. He is just lights out from that regard. We haven't seen a running back come in like this with these receiving chops. Even David Johnson, who, by the way, last year, PFF, he was our best receiver, not receiving running back, receiver. We, you know, he's he's better than David Johnson as a receiver. So I don't know. I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not going to write him off and I'm certainly not going to say he's a bus candidate, but he's definitely an unknown guy because of the situation in Carolina. Yeah, and their offensive line, adding adding the worst end of the the Khalil brothers didn't necessarily help their offensive line either. I thought <laughs> they still have question marks up front, and that's why I'm not saying like Christian McCaffrey can fit in an NFL offense. I just don't know if Carolina is best suited for him to actually work. I don't know. I, my questions have been there with McCaffrey and durability and stuff like that, and that's not a secret. It's nothing new. Uh, it's just a matter of hearing the stuff about Stewart, hearing the stuff about Samuel. I just don't understand what they're trying to do here because, Jeff, like, can we talk about Cam Newton for a second and your thoughts on him? Because Cam Newton's been a guy that's – he's got a big arm. I, I, would, I would argue that he probably has one of the top three arms in the NFL in terms of, you know, strength. He doesn't his, – his accuracy has been shoddy throughout his entire career. He doesn't target running backs. What do you make of Cam Newton if they're trying to dumb down this offense and, and create like, you know, some of that shorter intermediate stuff for the running backs and even the tight ends? What does this mean for Cam Newton if he's not going to if they're not going to utilize his biggest strength, his rushing ability? What does this mean for the future of Cam Newton as a quarterback? I still think that he's going to be fine as a back-end quarterback one, if that's what you're asking here. Or if you're looking from a strict football standpoint, you know, obviously he's still a franchise quarterback. There's no no, no doubt about that. He's one of the top uh, 12 or so or, or even higher than that quarterbacks. If you look at it from a long-term perspective, given his age, he's still under 30 years old. But from a fantasy standpoint, last year he underperformed in 2015. We I, I've said this about so many guys. Todd Gurley, 20, 2015, overperformed. 2016 underperform. Allen Robinson 2015 overperform. 2016 underperform. Cam Newton's the same exact thing. 35 touchdowns. Well, that's his like max, max, max ceiling. 19. Well, that's pretty much his floor. You know, and and it is it. What he has 18 was his lowest, and that was he played 14 games in 2014. So you look at 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 where where does he settle out? If he settles out somewhere in between there, then that certainly helps. Right. He isn't running the football as much as he was earlier in his career, and he probably shouldn't be running the ball 125 times. So that that hurts a little bit. Uh, the, the number one thing that I always tell people with running quarterbacks is that 40 rushing yards is one passing touchdown and fantasy points. 
So we're going to see less of that, sure. I projected him lower in terms of uh, rushing numbers this year, but I'm not overly concerned with that. I, I actually like Cam Newton as a, as a somewhat of a, a quarterback value if you're like a mid-round quarterback drafter. I don't mind taking him because of the bad taste that he left in people's mouths last year that you can get him at a nice little value this year. And, and I do think those numbers will go up. Now, he's not going to be... I, I really doubt he's a 4,000-plus yard passer. He's only done that once in his career and barely did it. But with the, what he has with his legs, the excitement of this offense, I, I still don't mind him as a quarterback one. Yeah, and that's the point. He's gotten, you know, when, when draft season started, he was being taken, you know, right around the QB6, QB7 range, and then he dropped down, and it was like, I found myself taking him in some MFL 10s because you you know that there's upside there with his legs. It's, it's kind of like a Tyrod Taylor type deal where even if he doesn't throw for two touchdowns, it doesn't really necessarily matter. But with with the, with the way they've built in their team this offseason, I have my concerns about him actually long term, but you're right. It, it gets to a point in a draft where there's value in him. I just wouldn't take him until the very bottom barrel of the QB ones. So what do you guys think about Amir Abdullah? I mean, he was getting so much hype this time last year, and then he came out week one, and he looked great. He got injured, and uh, now they've got all these other options at running back. So does he really get a bulk of the load? I mean, if he does, how high can he go? And if he doesn't, how low can he go? You can go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on this, uh, the Detroit backfield, Jeff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, bulk of the carries. Yes. And we were here out of the out of OTAs. Uh, Amir Abdullah is the best looking running back on the field. Well, I sure hope so. I mean, come on. What is he? He's, <laughs> he better look better than Zach Zenner. I mean, not to knock Zach Zenner. ZZ, you know, that's all right. Uh, We've been doing it all college. preseason, <laughs> you know, but in the same right, he better look like the best running back. But he, there's a couple problems. I mean, obviously, you have a problem along the offensive line. I mean, going out and having to tr- acquire Greg Robinson, who has been a huge disappointment so far over the course of his career uh, to address that position, the left tackle position. And he's not even guaranteed to start. I mean, that just shows you the situation there. So the offensive line certainly a bit of a concern. The uh, scenario, too, with the passing down back, I mean, a lot of people think that, oh, Abdullah, he can catch balls out of the backfield. So what? Theo Riddick isn't going to see 70, 80 targets because he is. He absolutely is. So you get an early down runner in Abdullah, which is fine, but there's not a lot of upside with him, unfortunately. I want to believe in it. I want want every play to look like that preseason run against the Jets. Uh, which, by the way, he got caught from behind on. Uh, but either way, it's not. I don't see that gonna. That's not gonna happen this year. Uh, for me, you know, really on the outside of the RB twos, looking in, I'm not not that excited about him. Yeah, it's funny to hear about you know the whole story behind David Johnson and how the the Cardinals consolation prize was David Johnson because they were going to take Amir Abdullah. And Abdullah, <laughs> I think the talent's there with Abdullah too. You know, Joel Holka, he does this uh, rushing expectation. It's similar to Matt Harmon's reception perception, and uh, he said that basically, even though it's a small sample, Amir Abdullah has destroyed his methodo- methodology, and he just he is he said he looks that good. The problem with me is like you know Rich Rebar said it. He's stuck in this purgatory of running backs that's kind of in a timeshare as Jeff mentioned Theo Riddick's not going away when they extended Theo Riddick it was concerning for me and Amir Abdullah because to an extent they kind of do a lot of similar things I think Amir Abdullah is better early down running back whereas Theo Riddick is a better receiver out of the backfield but I think that the both of them are capable of running the ball I think both of them are capable of being a receiver but there's no reason that they're going to do away with Theo Riddick because he's been really, really solid. You know, when he was getting the touches last year and they kind of made him, you know, that 20, I wouldn't say 20, but 15 to 18 touch a week running back, he was doing work. I, I recall it in DFS, he was like an every week play and he was, wasn't being played because he was the unsexy thing. And now you add Amir Abdullah to the mix. It's just, it's a mess of a situation. I want to believe in Amir Abdullah, but again, it's hard for him. To, for, it's hard for me to project him for 200 carries. And if you don't get 200 carries, it's it's ridiculously hard to get into a top 24 running back. This is one of the hardest ones for me because let's just say Abdullah comes out and he's super good, like one of the best six or seven running backs in the NFL. Are you trying to tell me that they're not going to give up touches for theoretic to get him the ball? I would say that. I mean, Theoretic's one of the best receiving running backs in in the NFL. So I guess you're I, right, but I mean, couldn't Abdullah technically be better than him? I think there's a real possibility there. He can catch the ball. He can break tackles better. He can catch the ball, but Theoretic comes from a receiving background. I mean, he's a con- converted receiver. That's really what he is for them. And yeah, uh, the way that they run their offense, Riddick fits so well into it. You look at Matthew Stafford. He had one of the lowest average depths of throw last year. It's all dink and dunk and let these guys run after catch. Uh, especially right. when you have Golden Tate, you can certainly get away with that. I mean, this year, 
Kenny Galladay, maybe that that stretches the field a little bit when he's out there in three wide receiver sets. But I just don't see a scenario where they're just going to abandon Theo Riddick. It, I, I just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense for them to do that. Yeah, that's the part for me. I, I agree with Jeff there in terms of that. I mean, if anything, you're going to phase Zach Zenner and Dwayne Washington out of the backfield. Like that's that's fine. But you're so you're splitting. I mean, what, 22 carries a game between those two? So maybe Abdullah gets, you know, 13, 14 carries a game, maybe two receptions. I just don't know if that's enough to get excited about. I mean, I, like I said, I believe in the talent. I believe in what all the film guys have have saw on Abdullah, but it's just getting behind him as a timeshare running back. It's it's hard. It's hard. I mean, Jeff, is there anything about Amir Abdullah or about Theoretic's uh, surgeries on his wrist that concerns you? Is there anything that has come out about that, like in his uh, rehab? Well, at, at this point, I'm, I'm not... I don't like to read too much into injuries until we get to training camp and then we, we re- reassess the landscape because we're in such a news dead period of the, the year that anything, any story that you get is is blown out or way, way out of proportion. And we're not getting anything about I haven't heard anything about Riddick in like over a month in terms of his injury. And it sounds like he's going to be just fine uh, when training camp opens up now. Of course, if that happens and he's not, then we re- reassess the landscape, and then of course, uh, that would that would be a boost to to uh, Abdullah. But at this point, no no news is good news. So, so would it be fair to say that you guys think Abdullah is a mystery, but that his ceiling is really not that high and his floor is really not that low? Uh, I would agree with that. I think he's a like, he, that's why I have him ranked right outside the RB two range. I think that he's a flex type player where you, you know he's going to get anywhere from ten to maybe fourteen touches per week. And he, I mean, breaking one, we could say, you know, Jeff just talked about it. He got caught from behind on that run. It's kind of like Paul Perkins. They kind of lack that top end speed. But um, no, I mean, it just depends on how far he falls in the draft. Because if there's an injury or whatever, if anybody misses time, because Theo Riddick obviously missed some time last year. If that happens, yeah, sure. He's going to be bumped up to that high end RB2, low end RB1, especially in PPR formats. Now, before we move on, I want to talk about one of the sponsors of today's show, TeamStake.com. If you're tired of hassling friends and family for fantasy league entry fees, try TeamStake. They provide fantasy sports leagues with a fully customizable payout collection and payout distribution system at no charge. They've got all kinds of great perks like optional late fees to help convenience league members to pay on time. Uh, Like I said, it's fully customizable with timelines and payout structures. It's safe and secure. It's easy to use. It's free, as I mentioned. I love using TeamStake.com. I'll definitely be using it for all my leagues. I recommend you guys do too. So please support the sponsor of today's show, TeamStake.com. Now, Jeff, why did the Minnesota Vikings go out and draft Dalvin Cook after signing Latavius Murray? I mean, I know Murray's not like a world beater or anything, and he's got some injury issues, but... Was this just a value pick or are they actually planning on utilizing Dalvin Cook from the get-go? I think it's both. Um, Lasavius Murray was generally disappointing last year. When you look at the Oakland backfield, he averaged less than five yards per carry. And I say that specifically because the other two running backs were well over five yards a carry. Uh, By the way, that's a reason to like Marshawn Lynch. I don't care what people say. Yes, he took a year off. Okay, we know that. Yes, he's over 30 years old. All right, we know that. Uh, He was disappointing his last year. No, he wasn't. He was freaking awesome his last year. And then he got hurt. Uh, I'm not really worried about that. He thoroughly outplayed Thomas Rawls. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the death on that one. Thoroughly outplayed Thomas Rawls. Thomas Rawls had four 100-yard games in 2015. They were all against bottom half run defenses, and his best game was against the worst run defense in the NFL. So, either way, Marshawn Lynch, uh, definitely he's not gonna be a ton. He's not gonna have the volume we're accustomed to seeing, but I still like him as that sort of fringe RB1, uh, maybe a front end RB2. Regardless, back to Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray scored a lot of touchdowns last year behind that offensive line. The offensive line in Minnesota is not the same offensive line. I know now I'm going to get a thousand tweets from Vikings fans. It's improved and they were hurt last year. Okay, yes. (laughs) They're a little bit better than they were last year for sure. But are they going to be dramatically improved from last year's iteration? I don't think so. And, and then you look at what Cook can do. Is he a value on day two? Yes. He fell because of testing. He, he didn't test particularly well in the pre-draft process. Of course, the off-field stuff that came out during that process didn't help him either. And he was a nice day two value. He, he very well could have been a day one pick. Um, he fits into that system pretty well. He can do essentially anything they need him to do. The problem is 
he's probably not going to see a lot of work, you know, out in, in from the 20, you know, from the 20 in, I should say, uh, in the red zone, that's going to be where we see a lot of Latavius Murray, short yardage Latavius Murray. And then passing situations, Jarek McKinnon is still there. So they're going to use him as well. That's that's the one drawback to Cook besides the, the whole situation with the offensive line. So they're going to use all three of these guys. This is just the way we've seen the NFL trend more and more is these full-blown committees where multiple guys are getting work. You know, so New Orleans is like the extreme version of that, but we're seeing it more and more. So if I wanted to ask this question. If the Vikings could go back in time and pretend that they knew that they were able to get Dalvin Cook, they traded up in the second round to get him, let's pretend that they, they knew that they were able to do that. Do you think that they would have signed Latavius Murray? Possibly. Uh, they, they knew they, the, uh, that Matt Asiata was going to be gone, and you, you need three running backs. And so, you know, who, who do they have beyond that? I mean, it's, it, they've, they've had a big problem with depth o- over the years. You know, I remember Joe, Joe Banyard was there recently. And uh, the, it, it, once you get beyond that point, who, you know, okay, here, I just pulled up the depth chart. You know who their number four is? Is Bishop, Bishop Sankey? Sankey. Yes, there you go. I knew it. <laughs> CJ Ham. I mean, that's uh, I, that's a bad situation. So yeah, I think they still probably sign Latavius Murray. Uh, it's not as if they completely broke the bank for him or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think going back in time they regret that that signing at all. Now I remember everyone being really excited about Jarek McKinnon saying, you know, if this guy gets his chance, he could be an RB one someday. Is that still a possibility? I mean, he was horrible behind that horrible offensive line, but I mean, the boy's talented, right? He can run the football. Is there any sense in drafting him in like MFL tents? God, I mean, at the end of the year, he started picking it up and people kind of missed out on that because he was a solid DFS play towards the, I think it was over the final like six games or so in PPR formats. He was catching a lot of balls, but I can't imagine any scenario where I'd want to take him considering Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray on the roster. Yeah, I'm I'm not in on that either. And you know, the biggest thing with him last year, they ba- they gave basically every carry from the five yard in to Matt Asiata. So that yeah. that should tell you something right there. I mean, the maybe you have a you certainly have a boom upside ceiling, but your floor is so minimal with with Jarek McKinnon that I I don't want any piece of him. I've been seeing him being picked in all these MFL ten leagues, and I was like, is there something I'm missing here? I mean, he's clearly the running back three. Maybe he gets cut. I'm just not buying it. I, I would much rather go get a Darren McFadden with the uh, Ezekiel Elliott suspension maybe looming. Yeah, no, for me, Jarek McKinnon, I think, actually is a better running back than Latavius Murray. I would I would argue that. But the, with the fact that the Vikings spent the money that they did to bring in Murray, they're going to try and find reasons to use him. McKinnon, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't have done what they did had they believed in him. So I'm pretty sure that the Vikings have uh, kind of moved on from that. We got to talk about that, Elliot, though. You can't just slip that in there because (laughs) we have to be really careful with this news, okay? If you listen to the interview with Adam Schefter, he doesn't say there's a suspension looming. He says legitimately he has no idea what is going on so uh, you know and sometimes this happens where we grab hold of something in the in the industry and then all of a sudden it gets spun you know whisper down the lane into something that it really isn't like like uh the, the mike malarkey thing mike malarkey never said exotic smash mouth he never <laughs> said that he did not call it that in the interview he said somebody once called it exotic smash mouth it's a smash mouth offense that's the quote that's the quote from mike malarkey so sounds exotic to me. Either way, <laughs> this whole thing with Elliot, everybody, you know, blows it way out of proportion. And and the reality is we just don't know, you know, at this point. And and we can cross our fingers that nothing's gonna happen. Something could happen, but then again, nothing could happen. So it, it's it's a challenging situation, but we don't want to just basically say, Oh yeah, there's a suspension that potentially is on the table, because nobody's actually ever come out and said it. Um, so be cautious. Like this is to the That's listener, fair. right? Be cautious when you read the news and and make sure you always go back to the primary source. It's a great thing. Like if you use Roto World, for example, they always have their source, or if you use fantasy pros they always have their source so you go to the source and and then read through on your own too uh because you get you know you get somebody's take on it and then that turns into somebody else's take on that and then somebody yeah. else's take on that right <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're like every player is suspended in the nfl or something <laughs> <laughs> so with, with, with that being said jeff with that being said i've had a few people ask me if knowing what we know about the whole ezekiel elliott situation which is not much which, you know, it's a possibility. That's basically all that's been floated out there. What wide receivers, if any, would you be drafting over him right now? If you were drafting today, is there any of the wide receivers you'd be taking over him? 
probably only Antonio Brown. That'd be it. Uh, I, I think if you wanted to be careful and you were in that three spot and you just didn't want the risk, because really you're talking about the three spot. If you're in that three spot, what's your decision? And if you wanted to, to avoid the risk a little bit, then you could certainly go with Antonio Brown and, and not, not a major issue there. I mean, you look at who you have on the comeback. Uh, if you're trying to take a running back, you possibly could get somebody like DeMarco Murray to fall for, fall to you in the second round. But you know, you may end up if you take that plunge and go A B, you may end up uh, a little bit of a zero R B early start to your draft. Yeah, you're usually looking at like Jordan Howard barely ever even falls there. It's usually like someone like Todd Gurley or Lamar Miller is who you're looking at at the uh, tail end of the second yeah. round. No, so thanks for Lamar yeah, Miller. Yeah. I wouldn't I take him in the interested. third round either. I agree. Now, guys, the last running back I want to talk about here is Jamal Williams. We already alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I think he is the ultimate boomer bust this year because, I mean, look, he could win the starting running back job. Ty Montgomery, as Tag said a couple episodes ago, only had double-digit carries once last season. But the reason that I'm not all gung-ho about Jamal Williams like everyone else is because I think Aaron Jones and Devontae Mays are really good, too. I mean, what if one of them wins the job out of preseason? I can't see that happening, but so the interesting little stat here, 2013, 2014, 2015, the Packers running backs combined for 385 fantasy points, 379, 382. It's been like the most consistent offense to to predict in terms of fantasy points out of the running back position. But Jeff, where are you at in the whole Jamal Williams thing? I, he's a running back that I really loved uh, before he came into the NFL. And so to see the Packers draft him there, he's more of an in-between-the-tackles guy, whereas Ty Montgomery, it, it seems like he's struggling a little bit in pass protection, which can vary, that can severely limit his snaps. So where are you at in the whole Jamal Williams thing? Do you think Aaron Jones, you know, are you one of those on the, on the on board that says Aaron Jones is the better running back? Or do you think this is Ty Montgomery's job to lose? I do think Jamal Williams is a better running back than Aaron Jones. I mean, Aaron Jones, it's easy to look at the numbers. You look at the numbers, yeah, sure, 1,700-plus rushing yards last year, 7.7 yards per carry, which is nutso. But he was at UTEP, you know, and and not that BYU is much better for Jamal Williams. It, <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't play they 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 don't play a, an SEC schedule. It's it's tough. I, I poke fun a little bit, but in the same right, SEC in a lot of ways is is sort of like minor league football, and you yeah you can gauge t- the the competition easier when it is a, a Power Five you know or or SEC uh, specific schedule. Regardless, Williams, you look at what he's able to do. He is a, a, I I say in my notes a dis- decisive grinder you know he's a kid who certainly like tag said he can run between the tackles that not that isn't necessarily what ty montgomery can do he's a he's a tweener hybrid type coming out of stanford we knew that and then we thought okay well he's just going to be this wide receiver randall cobb-esque player and he showed that he could do a little bit bit as a, a running back last year but really out of complete necessity I don't know necessarily that they they want that. And I'll I'll point to something. I mentioned the Seattle backfield last year. Let's go back to that. I warned people about Thomas Rawls ad nauseum. I, you know, there was the CJ Procise drinking game with me because every time I I seemingly said his name five times a a podcast or, or radio show. And you look at the scenario. Rawls was hurt. Rawls wasn't as good as people thought he was in 2015 and his team drafted three running backs uh the Packers just drafted three running backs you know and and you know the this situation just kind of points to we may see these guys sooner than we think you know we didn't see process was banged up or else we would have seen him earlier and then of course the end ended the season with the injury after uh really exploding against the Eagles so maybe we do see Williams uh, in the mix early on. It could be another scenario, though, where maybe it's not a, a pretty September for fantasy purposes, but then it starts to gain momentum down the stretch as he proves that he is more of a running back than Ty Montgomery. And then Aaron Jones can't be ruled out either. Alex Collins got some run in Seattle last year. Not that Jones is the same type of player, but both day three picks, uh, both guys who are very likely, you know, he's he's very likely to make the team. And if not, they definitely want him on the practice squad. So we got to know these guys. But I think if if you look at who's sort of the 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 biggest upside guy, uh, it, it may be Williams because you get him at such a great value. Of course, if the Packers come out tomorrow and say Montgomery is our number one guy, well, then now all of a sudden, you know, he he bumps up. I have him outside of the top 20 at this point, but he's way inside the top 20 if, if we get verification there. And then you just kind of 
get off the Jamal Williams train, at least for the time being. What if they name Jamal Williams the running back? Let's say we're in a week two of the preseason. They say Williams is our early down running back. How high are you willing to take him? Right now, he's running back 52 in the expert consensus rankings. Uh, and Still probably, I mean, in, in PPR especially, then it would go maybe inside the top 30, but I'm not going to go overboard because Montgomery's, Montgomery's the passing down back. There's yeah. no doubt about it. So it's not as if uh, that that's the question. Montgomery is the only guy in this situation who has uh, the true three down potential unless he gets hurt. And then that that's completely different. But Williams was not a, he was not asked to catch the ball like he had whatever, like 15 catches in college. Like he had no catches whatsoever. I, I don't that isn't the precise number. But regardless, I, we're not going to see that with him, so I don't think I'd be willing to spend you know that that high of a pick on him. So he'd still be you know he, he'd be an RB three for me. Okay, I, I'm looking at it, and Powell's going running back number twenty four. Frank Gore is going running back twenty five. I would much rather have a starting Jamal Williams than either of those guys. I don't know about Powell. I, I I would I would take him over Gore. I think Gore. It's finally to the year where we can give up. You know, Jeff. We, that's the point of the show, right? Talking about boomer bust options. Frank Gore doesn't have boom. Like there is no boom to Frank nope, Gore. It, not he's, at all. He, he is the most boring fantasy pick. And granted, if you're building a team with full high upside options and you need some stability, I guess. But he needs to fall far enough for that to happen because. <laughs> it's just not I, I'm not I'm not interested in Frank Gore but Jamal Williams the, the reason that I like drafting him you know in the, around that 12th round is because you're going to find out right away even regardless of the coach speak and all that because if you guys recall last year McCarthy came out talking about yep Ty Montgomery's gonna be our starter going forward yeah he got the traditional you know the the starter tag and he walked out there for the first snap but again just one game during the regular season with more than 10 carries so for me if you draft Jamal Williams you're going to find out early on, regardless of coach speak, you're going to find out in week one, is he going to be the one, two down back? And you're going to see Ty Montgomery and the spread offense and the hurry up offense, or, you know, or is he just going to be a guy that gets a couple carries a game? That could be the case. And if that's the case, then Ty Montgomery, as Jeff said, is a three down back and he's got RB one upside because it's, it's one of the top scoring offenses in the NFL. Guys, let's talk about some wide receivers. And the one I want to start with here is Terrell Pryor. Um, everyone who listens to the show knows that Tags and I are super low on him. Uh, he was good last year because he was the only playmaker in the offense. Um, it was an ideal situation for him. And now he's moving to an offense with a lot of depth. And I think Tyrell Pryor does not really have much boom at all. I think that we already saw what, what the best possible scenario for Terrell Pryor is. So what do you think, Jeff? Am I wrong? Does he have some boom? Well, he's the drinking game this year. Uh, I, I think he totally does have uh, a high upside in a okay. great situation. I mean, you look at last this time last year, it was sort of a, kind of like a novelty thing. Oh, that's cute. He's trying to play wide receiver. Oh, this is going to end well. And it did end well. It, it ended very well. He played, he played himself into a contract this year. He enters a depth chart where... Uh, the two top targets, well, not including Jordan Reed, are gone in Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson. He's going to play every down outside. And, you know, those who are are banging this drum for uh, Jamison Crowder, that's great. But what's his ceiling? You know, what's his what's Jamison Crowder's touchdown ceiling? What is it? Seven? Like, what are we what are we trying to do there? I mean, yes, maybe you could have uh, a, a Jarvis Landry light type season from a, a volume standpoint. But when we really look at upside, who is the guy who can really turn it loose on that offense? And I love Josh, Josh Doxson. Don't get me wrong, but he's the number three receiver for sure. You have prior, you have a, a chemistry already with with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins likes the fact that he can talk to a quarterback. His wide receiver is a quarterback, you know, and granted, never never like an NFL caliber type quarterback that prior was, but but he knows the game from the quarterback's eyes as well. And then Yeah, good point. Kirk Cousins almost threw for five thousand yards last year. So he's really good. So where is where are those yards going to go? That's the question. And I don't think he repeats at that sort of level, but my projections absolutely love him. I, I mean, I almost have to scale him back to get him in like the 46, 4700 range. So those yards are going to go somewhere. I don't think that it's going to be all Jamison Crowder and he's going to go for sixteen hundred yards this year. So for me, I, I like Terrell Pryor. The problem is, as I said earlier on in the show, 
I'm probably never going to own him because he's going to go earlier than I want to draft him. Yeah. I'll tell you, Tags thinks the guy that's going to break out in this Redskins offense is Robert Kelly. Oh, get out of here. I, I said I wouldn't draft him as a top 50 running back. Um, no, 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 I, I know you are. Um, but Terrell Pryor is someone, yes, he has upside, but people are drafting him at the upside that he has. They're drafting him as a mid-tier, low-end wide receiver, too. And Jeff, is there anything to the fact that Kirk Cousins has never targeted a wide receiver more than 6.9 targets per game? And, and I understand that Terrell Pryor is, you know, the, the big ticket free agent. It was a one-year deal. He's a he's a second-year wide receiver. You have Josh Doxson, who they drafted with a first-round pick last year. You have Jamison Crowder, who flashed a little bit. You have Jordan Reed on the offense. Samaj P. Ryan can catch the ball. Chris Thompson can catch the ball. My, my questions are is that Kirk Cousins spreads the ball around the offense in – does Terrell Pryor have weekly upside? Sure he does, but he's not going to get 140 targets like he did last year. Right now, my projections have him at 108 targets, and I mean, I'm sure that number can go up, but from what we've seen from Kirk Cousins so far, it really, that's what I'm saying, he just doesn't target one wide receiver that all that often. How much of a difference is there really between Pryor's ceiling and Demarius Thomas's floor? Uh, there's, a, there's a big difference, I think. You think uh, so? Okay. Yeah, I'm not overly sold on the quarterback situation still. I guess Trevor Simeon was fine last year. Uh, I I would much rather have Paxson under center just from an upside standpoint. Not that either one of them is going to be fantasy relevant in one quarterback leagues, but I mean, I, I I hear that. I'm not willing to buy into those sorts of trends. I mean, you look at like, okay, is he going to target Deshaun Jackson 12 times a game? No, he's not going to do that. Maybe Pierre Garçon, but that's sort of coming to the end of the line as well with the Pierre Garçon thing. So there really wasn't that guy there. I, also, you said P. Ryan is a, a receiver out of the backfield. I, I think, you know, the other way around, I think he's just uh, an early down guy. He's Michael Turner reincarnated. You know, that's that's what I see every time it's I see nice that player. Kid. Well, yeah, for sure. And that's why I'm I, I'm on that anti Rob Kelly drafting uh, train here. I, 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 I'm sure he's a, a wonderful human being, uh, but <laughs> I don't want him on my fantasy team this year. He was really he struggled down the stretch as well that a lot of people kind of selectively overlook that. Yeah. What about Stefan Diggs? Stefan Diggs was uh, was excellent in like three games last year. Oh, stop it. Three games. Get out, get out of here. Uh, Stephon, yeah, he, get out of here. I think games. he's really talented. I like Stefan Diggs. I'm taking him above his ADP. But, you know, I think there's some risk here because we haven't really seen him put it all together. And we're just kind of assuming that he will, right? Well, we also have uh, the issue of his quarterback. You know, not that Brad- Bradford had the best season of his career and, and definitely kudos to him there, but is Bradford going to push the ball downfield? No, he's going to be more of a conservative uh, game management type offense that's going to be run. He's not, he may not have time to throw the ball like he did last year as well. He didn't have much time to do that last year. So there's, there's all of that. Diggs is a good player for sure, but I, I think it's fair where, where he's going in ADP. I mean, you're talking probably around about uh, sixth round, seventh round is where you're seeing him go commonly. I think that's fine. I don't look to take him in that range, so I typically don't, ha- I don't have very many shares of him right now at all. I like Diggs because, like, you know, as the year went on, Bradford, as you mentioned it, Bradford, this is going to be his first year with a, a coordinator for a second straight year, which is always a positive. You want to see that with a quarterback to learn a system. Pat Shermer, once he took over, he kind of changed everything around. Stephon Diggs started playing in the slot a lot more. And looking over his schedule this year, he's got one of the easiest schedules in the league. And then, and then going to play in the slot, if you recall last year when they went and played against Arizona, the big question was, will Patrick Peterson follow Stephon Diggs? Because not a lot of the top-tier cornerbacks, regardless of what some people think, a lot of those guys don't follow wide receivers into the slot. So Stephon Diggs playing out of the slot... He's the primary, he's like the primary guy. Corderell Patterson saw more targets than people realized last year. He's gone. Laquan Treadwell's not going to walk in and see 80 targets. So for me, it's like, are we expecting Kyle Rudolph to see a, a league league in, tar- uh, you know, he was the tight end leader in targets last year. Are we expecting that to continue? Adam Thielen, is he going to be the player that he was last year? Stefan Diggs, when he was off the injury report, he was a different player. He was a completely different player. Uh, I did like seeing him out of the slot. I think he it, it fits where Bradford you know, where he best operates. So I, I think I'm okay with, you know, where he's being drafted, but I love where he's being drafted because at the same time, it allows you room for that upside. And I think where he's being drafted around that wide receiver 30 to 35 range, that's near his floor for me. You know, he had five games with at least six fantasy points last season. That's pretty good. Five whole games tags. 
Don't start with me. He had three scored. <laughs> he scored three touchdowns. And I mean, it depends. I guess it depends on what league you play in too. Because last year in PPR format, despite the fact oh, that yeah, it, was, yeah. it was kind of up and up and down year for him, he finishes the number fourteen wide receiver in PPR points per game. So we we've seen some of it, but he only scored three touchdowns. You know, he's going to need to score more if I, if I expect him to take that leap forward. And I I just think the talent's there where he could. You know, it's it's really funny, Tags. You've talked about this before, how the Dolphins always, their coaching staff hypes up every single player. Well, we're going to use this guy a lot this year, and he looks really great, except Devontae Parker last year. And now all of a sudden this year, they love Devontae Parker. Uh, they're just raving about him. I don't know what to make of it. Jeff, what do you think about Devontae Parker? I think he passes the eye test for sure. You know, yeah. he, he yeah. looks the part. Yeah. When, when you look at that prototype number one receiver, size, speed, uh, he can do a lot of things on the field. He's not just a one-trick pony nine-route guy or anything like that. Third year in the league, he's still young. It's his age 24 season, so there's there's certainly a lot to like from that standpoint. His, his arrow is still pointing upward. And I think this team is going to be a little bit better. You know, Jay Ajayi just added some stability to that offense. And love or hate Ryan Tannehill, it is what it is. I think he can get Parker the ball because I've seen him do it before. And, you know, if we see a little bit of an uptick in Parker's usage this year, especially uh, the key here, obviously, is he has to be on the field in two wide sets. We can't have him be in the number three because then, you know, you you flip flop and have Kenny Stills in there. Uh, And I don't really want Kenny Stills for fantasy purposes because we're going to see those touchdowns regress. It was eight touchdowns on targets of 20-plus yards downfield last year, which is unsustainable completely. I love Parker. and You know, we talk about Parker uh, in comparison to a guy like Stephon Diggs who's going, you know, basically a round ahead. I'd rather have Parker. I think the upside is higher with Parker than with Diggs just based on the nature of the offense itself. So for me, that's that's sort of the direction I'm going. Instead of taking a guy like Diggs, that's sort of the rounds where I'm looking at getting a guy like Paul Perkins. You know, and it's it's an interesting dance that you start to create for yourselves as you go through all the different mock drafts. You, you fall into these ranges, these zones, like, all right, well, these players are typically here, and these are my guys in this round, and these are my guys in that round. And that's sort of how it has worked out for me. That's why I said I really don't have very many shares of uh, of digs, but I have a lot of shares of Parker right now. Yeah, Parker, people went off the deep end. Uh, when I, I tweeted out something, it was a couple of weeks ago, saying that Devontae Parker, despite seeing 40 less targets, scored more fantasy points than Brandon Marshall in 2016. And you have no idea how many people came out of the woodwork and saying that, you know, his quarterback situation is that much better. It's 40 targets, first off. And second, when did Ryan Tannehill become really good? Um, you know, the touchdown, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned it with Kenny Stills about that touchdown regression coming. It's going to come regardless. Like, that's going to happen because as much as Ryan Tannehill is okay, he's fine, but he's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick coming into 2016 would have been considered the better quarterback to have as your quarterback. So for me, Devontae Parker, I do like him. I've seen some people question his ADP where it's at because, you know, Kenny Stills and Jarvis Landry. I'm not a Landry believer. I think that the Dolphins are moving on from him. They haven't apparently discussed a contract extension. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Even over the last 12 games of the season, we saw his target numbers go from 10.1 a game down to 7.1. So they already started to slowly churn a different way. Julius Thomas coming to the office, it doesn't really scare me that much. But I'm with Jeff that Parker has that wide receiver one upside. I wouldn't take him over Diggs, but I do view him in that same territory. Now, one guy that I loved uh, right after the draft was Corey Davis. I typically avoid wide receivers, uh, rookie wide receivers, because after Odell Beckham and Mike Evans just dominated his rookies, they keep being drafted way too high. But I think Corey Davis was ready to play really well, and then they went and signed Eric Decker. I don't know what to make of him. Do you think that he has significant upside, or is this just kind of another rookie wide receiver that is going to get on the field a little bit and not really be that special? You know, let me just be clear. I'm not saying I'm taking Diggs or a Parker ahead of Diggs. I'm you like saying the, the round later. I'm 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 leaning towards that's the route that I would prefer to take because I have Diggs ranked ahead. I have Diggs at number 28 right now, and I have Parker at number 40. You know, but I would rather compose my team with Parker than with Diggs, right? So you know, uh, just just so there's no confusion there. But Corey Davis is interesting because he looks like T.O. in a lot of ways when he plays. 
The problem is we didn't have a large sample size of him playing against that high end competition at the college level. Yeah. That being said, he still he was my favorite receiver out of this year's class by far, and this is a lackluster class. We've been so spoiled for fantasy purposes over the last several years. Even last year, Michael Thomas surprising somewhat. I don't think there's a guy who is capable of a thousand yards in his rookie season in this year's class, uh, at, at, out of the out of the wide receivers. But Zay Jones, n- oh, God, yeah, no. on Buffalo's offense, where Tyrod's going to throw for like two thousand five hundred yards, I, I don't think so. I just don't see how. Yeah, that's Watkins happen. would have to get hurt, and uh, yeah, that, there's really no chance. I love yeah. Zay Jones, though. and that, and that's part of the problem with Corey Davis as well. Is it's going to be a run heavy offense. It's it's an offense that well, they don't run a lot of three wide sets. Last year they ran the fewest three wide sets, and we don't know if Davis is the number two or the number three at this point. We can probably fairly safely say that. Dex Decker is the number one if he's healthy and all of that. But then Rashard Matthews is coming off a decent season. Now, part of that was because there was nobody else there. But still, he played well, and he played well in Miami before that. So is Davis guaranteed that number two spot? And if he isn't, then you almost can't roster him for fantasy purposes. Number three wide receivers are not ideal for fantasy purposes. But, um, you know, if he is... The number two, I think you're looking at flex-worthy production, so wide receiver four range, uh, with Decker being in the in the wide receiver three range, just not going to have heavy volume there in Tennessee. Yeah, that's the that's the issue with me is like you know when people started talking about Decker to the Titans, which <laughs> the my buddy's the one Kenneth Nixon is the one who broke that news, which was just the oddest thing in the world to have one of your friends get retweeted by Adam Schefter breaking the news about Decker signing there. I thought he was kidding because he said it in our chat like a group chat that we have. And I was like, why would the Titans do this? Like, you know, they had Rashard Matthews. They, they, they drafted Corey Davis. Then Taewon Taylor and Tajay Sharp are going to compete for that third wide receiver spot. You know, they have Delaney Walker there. They drafted Jonu Smith. There's there's just a lot of questions here. And then when they signed Decker, it really complicated everything where I, I, I believe I dropped both Decker and Corey Davis outside of the top 40 wide receivers. I think they're both teetering on that range. Uh, but it's just going to be frustrating. It's just, I'd if you're going to take anybody, I guess it'd be Mariota. But even then, I think it's too he- run heavy of an offense for Mariota to finish higher than maybe the QB eight. So where yeah, he's being drafted yeah. right now is right around there. So it's just, you know, we're losing all, all everything we wanted out of this offense outside of the running backs. I agree with you. I mean, I'm looking at these uh, these quarterbacks. We were going to talk about Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, even Carson Wentz. I don't see a breakout among any of these guys. I mean, with where they're being drafted, I don't know if any of them perform higher than that. Wentz, I think, has some upside that no one's really talking about. But the quarterbacks, I mean, you look at the top 15 quarterbacks, I think it's going to be pretty steady this year outside of a few injuries. I don't know, maybe uh, Andrew Luck's shoulder acts up again or something. Um, or Derek Carr's not quite ready to go after his leg injury. But besides that, I mean, I think quarterback's pretty easy to predict this year. I don't see anyone really flying up the radar like Dak Prescott did last season well I mean the QB what is it what do you think Jeff the QB 8 to QB 20 range could all be interchanged somehow some way um but there's not a massive difference between yeah, I mean, that there's group. no one who can sneak into the top six but Carson Wentz now Jeff you're you're from Philly I know you're not an Eagles guy necessarily but you know the team you're from there Carson Wentz is there any possibility I'm not buying it in Doug Peterson's offense and what he's done like is it am I wrong is, or is Carson Wentz a legit breakout candidate I think he's a breakout candidate. I don't think he's. Uh, you, you said Dak Prescott. Well, how about Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan didn't get drafted in most leagues good last point. year. That's a good point. <laughs> so is there a, is there a Matt Ryan or two years ago? Is there a Carson Palmer in this year's class? And uh, I, I've I've said this numerous times too. You don't need Aaron Rodgers to win your league. You don't need Tom Brady. You don't need Drew Brees. You don't need Andrew Luck. You don't need these guys to win your league. It's foolish to draft quarterbacks in the second, third, fourth round, or in some home leagues in the first round. And I don't care if they get six points for a passing touchdown. Every quarterback also gets six points for a passing touchdown. So their their relative value is exactly the same. So, you know, if anything, okay, you bump Drew Brees up in your quarterback rankings, but you don't take these guys uh, in those rounds, you're sacrificing so much value. So when you go though, I, I, you go from from you said eight to twenty. I think that's fine. You know, guys in that range, you have varying ceilings, varying floors. You know, a guy like Tyrod Taylor is in that in that range who you know has this uh, quarterback uh, dual threat ability upside. Uh, you even have some of these guys on the outside looking in. Joe Flacco, how does he perform? You know, and, and I'm talking for quarterback two purposes, but how does he perform with perhaps 
perhaps a healthy offense with a maybe a better weapon in Jeremy Macklin here with maybe Brashad Perryman taking a step forward with Mike Wallace continuing to be solid anytime he doesn't play for the Minnesota Vikings. What, what about uh, Blake Bortles? Does I, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that his throwing motion is going to be any better, but he's going as the number 21 quarterback off the board right now. And he's been a quarterback one each of the last two years. Like that is, he's so unsexy. You have to take a shower after you put his name on the board. <laughs> but it's val- like, why, why spend a pick? Why spend those early picks when you can get guys like this? When people generally just do not want to believe that Tyrod Taylor is a good fantasy asset, that Carson Wentz could have a breakout. I mean, Carson Wentz certainly could have a breakout when you look at the the composition of that roster. You have now a bona fide number one receiver type in Alshon Jeffrey. I'm not saying he's a, 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 a wide receiver one. I'm saying he's a number one receiver on a team. You have a field stretcher in Torrey Smith. You have uh, a, a solid slot receiver in Jordan Matthews. You have a good receiving tight end borderline, you know, breakout. If it's eventually it's going to happen with Zach Ertz <laughs> tight end. You have one of the best receiving running backs in the backfield there in Darren Sproles. And then you have, uh, a run game potentially with LeGarrette Blunt to keep opposing defenses honest. Great think, offensive line. Yeah, one of the best, if not the best offensive line on paper. You know, that's our Mike Renner at Pro Football Focus. He ranked them number one. He ranked Cleveland number two, by the way. So Dallas and Oakland not in the top two. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of situ- there's a lot of uh, signs that point to Wentz outplaying his ADP. Now, is he a top 10 this year? I really don't think so. I think that top 10... Like you pointed out, it's it's pretty solid with those guys up in that top 10 range or top 12 range, but he could push himself way up close to that, you know, borderline quarterback one range by the end of the season. Okay, guys, before we end this show, um, we've just, we got to talk about Hunter Henry. I mean, oh, I've, I've mentioned his name like every podcast, but we haven't <laughs> talked about him in a while and he is boomer bust, right? I mean, you look at what he did last year and among tight end ones last year, he was the only one with less than 70 targets. He had 53 targets. Um, so Hunter Henry, if he gets the ball a lot thrown his way, I think he can be a top three tight end. But the question is in this offense, I mean, they've got all kinds of depth. Is it going to happen? Well, you mentioned it, though. So 53 targets. That's the that's the key word here. And Keenan Allen's coming back. Antonio Gates is returning for a season. Travis Benjamin's going to be healthy. Tyrell Williams has earned himself a role. They drafted Mike Williams. Like, they're, Melvin Gordon catch passes. Brandon Oliver's coming back from injury. Like, there but are if so... he's that efficient, why not give him the ball more? Don't they want to win? They do want to win, but that's what I'm saying. So I looked at his game log, Bobby, and 28.3% of his targets came in the three games that Antonio Gates was out, which is a rather large percentage. So, I mean, if you're predicting a breakout for Hunter Henry, you better be saying that Antonio Gates is going to relatively just completely fall off a cliff, right, Jeff? Yeah, exactly, and and that they're not going to run the heck out of the football. I mean, who's their head coach? And and look at last year, Buffalo's run game was no joke. That offensive line produced more yards before contact than any offensive line in the league. And now Anthony Lynn is is there, you know, with with San Diego. They address the or San Diego. I'm I'm never going to say Los Angeles. <laughs> They address the offensive line in the draft, and and we'll see what they end up doing there. But you know that's going to be part of the game plan. Antonio Gates' role is going to change, but you hear out of out of Los Angeles what they want to do with him. He they want to use him in third down situations and in red zone situations. In other words, he's still going to get targeted a lot. I, I don't see a dramatic uptick for Henry, where you know last year Gates was nearly double Henry's targets. I don't I don't see that. Uh, flip-flopping this year maybe that they they get closer to even in terms of targets so top three upside that's really lofty it would take it would take some injuries especially one key injury to Antonio Gates for that to really happen that sucks I think he's fine where you be on my side because I trust I trust your opinion a lot but man that's a bummer you really uh, you really changed my opinion quite a bit I mean I was reaching for him in virtually every draft but you make a really compelling case and a lot of people have tried on this show but I haven't been convinced until now, and uh, I'm bummed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fine where you're taking him. You're taking him as a number 10. He was number, what, 11 last year? So that's fine, but th- that sort of upside. I mean, if you want to get better bang for your buck, I'd rather wait and take somebody like Austin Hooper. 
You can take him, you can get him for a bologna sandwich at the end of a draft, and he has uh, some significant upside. Now, the the Falcons do spread the ball around. They they you know they give you know Joshua Perkins is going to get some targets this year. That's just what they do to their tight ends. But Hooper showed some serious upside last year with no Jacob Tammy there. Uh, it, it could be really interesting. I think he's he's that that you know probably biggest breakout candidate if you want to look at all yeah, maybe him I and Jack Hooper. Doyle. But Jack, Jack Doyle, Doyle kind of broke out last year though, didn't he? Or, yeah, you know, Kinda, it, yeah. He, he he was he was the biggest definitely the biggest surprise last year. Him and well and Cameron Bright. But uh, yeah, I, do, I do you think at, Cameron Bright can keep it up? I mean, he was so efficient in routes he ran last year. He got so many yards. Do you think that maybe OJ Howard just isn't ready and they're going to keep feeding the ball to Cameron Bright? Well, he's going to he's going to see targets. OJ Howard is a man child um and you know, he's he's an, he's a specimen. Now, one of the biggest learning curves in the NFL at any position is at tight end, and that's why that's why Kyle Rudolph happened last year, and it didn't happen three years ago. Kyle Rudolph is now getting in that range where he's about the peak age. From a yards per catch standpoint, the peak age for tight ends is 29 years old. It's 25, 26 for wide receivers. Uh, yards per carry, it's 24 for running backs. So he's wow. he's almost in that range. So it's going to take a little bit of time. That's why I keep telling people don't draft OJ Howard as a top 12 tight end. You're going to be Seriously. very disappointed. <laughs> but Bray, the unfortunate thing is they kind of cannibalize from each other for fantasy purposes. And I don't think Bray's going to be that much of a, a fantasy option this year either, okay. unfortunately, just because there's so many, so many mouths to feed there now. That makes sense. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for uh, for today's show. Jeff, we really appreciate you coming on. It was fun. Oh, absolutely. Had a great Except time, Except for the part where you disagreed with me about Hunter Henry. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And for those of you guys listening at home, we do have two more shows coming up next week. Then we're moving to three shows. If you haven't already, subscribe and review us on iTunes so you can be submitted for our future signed jersey giveaways from pristineauction.com. For Mike Tagliere, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve